0: Welcome to the Holistic Inner Balance Podcast with Dr. Nicole Kane and Happy
1: Healthy Hadley, your go-to resource for natural mental health and wellness strategies so that you can become the expert of your own emotional and physical well-being. Merging modern science with ancient wisdom. Buddy, this is Dr. Nicole and and Happy Healthy Hadley, and we just did an absolutely amazing interview with Brooke Ellison, and the book that she wrote recently is called "Look Both Ways." And I am so incredibly moved by this conversation. Oh my gosh, I have just
0: chills all over. I'm so inspired. I know that you're all going to be so inspired by her and not only the challenges that she's overcome, but how she's kind of like alchemized it into this message that is relevant for everyone. And, you know, she does so much work with um, policy policy shifts and changes and, um, you know, working with politicians to make life better for not only people with disabilities, but also all people. Um, and we talk a little bit about that in the podcast, and it's also going to just be a really, really inspiring, um, hour long chat. So I am so excited for you all to listen.
1: She, she thinks that I think will be really relevant for everyone listening to this. And definitely I benefited so much from this conversation. You know, we, we discussed the Intersection between hope, trauma, resilience, and neuroscience, which is just like the most delicious combination of things. You know, it's our I love all of that. <laughs> yeah. <It's> the best. <laughs> and we talked about she has this really good mnemonic to help us work through like her process of going through something incredibly devastating as a young girl and then being able to transform that process into something that's making change in everybody's lives, arguably on a huge scale. And so she kind of walks us through. So when you finish this episode, when you finish listening to this, you're going to get access to her really easy mnemonic device that you can start using right away and how to not only survive something that's devastating, there it's a... Disabling, or just whether you just are stuck at rock bottom and you don't know what to do next, I think it'll be really relevant to help you with transformation. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm really excited for you to get that, yeah, listeners. (laughs) Yes, I'm looking at Hadley on video as I say that. (laughs) You, Hadley,
0: I'm so glad you have gotten it. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, I'd love to read her bio so y'all can learn just a little bit about this interview. And so. I'm reading this out of her book. And so Brooke Ellison, PhD, is an associate professor of health policy and medical ethics at Stony Brook University following a car accident that left her paralyzed from the neck down and dependent on a ventilator at age 11. Ellison went on to graduate from Harvard University in 2000, received her master's degree in public policy from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government in 2002. She ran for New York State Senate in 2006 and was granted an honorary degree from Rutgers University in 2011. In 2014, Ellison was chosen to be a World Economic Forum Young Global Leader she joined the board of directors of the New York Civil Liberties Union in 2017 and was chosen to be a Truman National Security Project political partner in 2018. She was appointed to the Suffolk County Human Rights Commission in 2020. She has a first book, 2002, it's called Miracles Happen. It was adapted into a movie directed by Christopher Reeve, who we all know is Superman, right? And it's called the Brooke Ellison Story. And then of course her most recent book that she's doing a book tour for is called Look Both Ways. And you can learn more by going to her website, Brookellison.com. You can contact her by emailing her at Brooke at Brookellison.com. She's also pretty active on Instagram and Twitter she's so So
0: impressive. Like, (laughs) yeah, she's so impressive. And then when you, you know, you'll all hear this, but like her heart is just so big and she's just so warm and loving and, and lovely. I am just so excited for you all to listen to this one.
1: All right. So let's dive in. This is going to be a great episode. Thanks everyone for listening.
2: Hi, Brooke. Hi, Hi, how are you? Good to meet you. Hi, how are you? doing so good to meet you well thank you wherever you are is beautiful and sunny my goodness (laughs) yes I'm in
0: San
1: Diego
2: oh yeah it's known for that
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm in Arizona but you can't see it
2: (laughs) no I'm sure it's equally as beautiful there we're dealing with rain and cold here so Mm.
1: are you northeast
2: northeast yeah New York Yeah. So yeah, a little outside of New York
1: city.
2: Awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Coming right. Just a couple more weeks. Exactly.
2: Fingers crossed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I loved your book, Brooke. I just had to, I had to say it's wonderful.
2: Thank you. Thank you. That means so much to me. Thank you. Yeah. It was um, certainly a labor of love. You know, it was I put everything that I had into it. And hopefully that showed
1: absolutely. And you are quite the academic. It's like very <laughs> clear that you are so well studied. It's, <laughs> Thank you. You, you managed to blend the there's this art to keeping something personable and accessible, but then also like weaving in like you're making some really important points, especially when you were talking about, the politics and being able to speak articulately to certain populations. I just thought you rocked.
2: Well, thank you. That, that was exactly the tone that I was hoping to strike. You know, Not too much of any one particular thing, but hopefully enough mm-hmm. to uh you know, peak enough interest in various areas and touch on the different sides of my own life. So oh, I'm so glad that, that that resonated with you. Thank you. Thank you. And the kind of finding my voice angle yes. uh, was something that you know, I had... Um, Move it into the entire book, um, both from a metaphorical standpoint as well as, you know, an obvious literal one. So oh, I'm so glad that that resonated with you. Thank you. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah. I also I love how you bring in the fact that the fight for disabled rights is really just a fight for human rights in general, mm-hmm. and yeah. it it improves the lives of every single person. It's mm-hmm. just beautiful so oh, yeah
2: thank you thank you my goodness I mean that is exactly the um the response that I was hoping for and what I was hoping people would get out of the book and you know like I wrote in the um you know in the introduction I you know, I was kind of I vacillated a bit between you know do I write a book that's just about disability do I write a book that is relevant to everyone how do I Beat both of those challenges and cater to an audience um, that is general, but without making it look like I'm, you know, trying to deny a real part of who I am. So the fact, you know, that that really means a lot to me that you understand that that came across and that disability as a part of humanity was something that was evident and hopefully something that people will start to integrated to their own mind of thinking a little bit more prominently than they do. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I love that, that Hadley, you pulled out the word humanity because I think that everybody who reads your book and hears the podcast tour that you're doing will be able to think about what it is to be human and what it is mm-hmm. to suffer and what it is to create meaning and drive and identity from those experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think that you really touch on that. And so, one thing that you wrote about is the, I, the identification of self of who am I? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about that. Like, who is Brooke? Like, mm-hmm. who are you? My friend.
2: Thank you. Well, first, it is such a pleasure to be talking to you, Dr. Kane and Nicole, however you prefer me to to address you. It's just a pleasure. And um, especially in a forum like this that is not necessarily uh, disability focused, but uh, focused on how we all can improve our lives. I think that. understanding disability is a part of how we all improve our lives uh, because disability is just a manifestation of many of the challenges that we all experience. Um, a very obvious one, a profound one, uh, but one that falls into that category nonetheless. So it's really it's it's a pleasure to be able to talk about my life and share my life with with all of your listeners. so So thank you so much so 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 if i had to isolate one part of my identity that i am proudest of i would say um when i was a child yeah i grew up here on on long island where i'm speaking to you from today and um for many years of my life or least the first 11 years of my life i, I uh envisioned myself as kind of uh, an introverted child, you're not a child necessarily who would put herself too far out there um terrified of public speaking you're not something at all that I thought I would ever become a part of um after my accident at the time of my accident in 1990 uh, I knew very quickly that I was gonna to have to to change. Sorry, I just paused for a second. I knew that the um, behaviors that I had um, typically ascribed to or had associated with who I was were no longer going to hold me in good stead moving forward. I needed to become much more vocal, much more certain of who I was much more certain of what I believed in, even, you know, up until that point in my life, you know, I kind of thought that I just needed to believe the things that I was taught to believe. And um, it didn't take long for me to understand that many of the things that I was taught, particularly about disability, were simply not true. Um, so, so I think societally speaking, we have an understanding about disability, that it is a manifestation of weakness, or vulnerability or marginalization or the people um, with whom we do not want to associate or who represent um the worst in humanity or kind of the the greatest vulnerability in humanity right that was kind of what i i thought you know, even just at 11 years old i thought that um, you know seeing somebody with a disability on uh, you know in the store or anywhere you I, I should feel pity for them feel sorry for them and it wasn't until i uh learn to live with disability that I said, wait a second, you know, all of those things that I was taught or came to believe are simply not true. And I am, uh, you know, after living with disability for however many years I have, you know, now personally 30, going on 33 years, but, you know, at the time I've come to, I came to these understandings, you know, uh, fewer years than that, um, you know, that I am not a less valuable person because of the circumstances that I face and the disability that I uh, that I live with. I am, in fact, uh, a stronger person. I have experienced sides of myself that I never would have fully appreciated um, by virtue of my disability, and I think that that comes through in uh, many of the challenges that people experience in their lives. I think what happens very frequently is that we become um uh, all consumed by some of the challenges that we face, learn to understand ourselves in terms of those challenges, um, not uh, become 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 um uh, unable to disassociate ourselves, dissociate ourselves from the challenges that we face, We kind of view our lives as fully integrated into those challenges when that's not who we are. and sometimes, those experiences are what make us who we are it's not until we experience those challenges that we understand how strong we can in fact be and how um aspects of our character that we had never even known existed become very prevalent become very real so if I had to isolate, so I know that was kind of a long way around to getting to the to the question, you know, if I had to understand myself and who I am, you know, I would I would say that I, I uh, have learned to uh, embody and integrate into my identity the kinds of values and virtues that I think are um, very rarely ever um associated with disability right so the things that i had mentioned before vulnerability marginalization weakness uh you know, aspects of the human character that we don't want to know much about like i think i see them as the exact antithesis of what disability is all about that and this is something that i write at length about in like both ways that you know if disability is Uh, the manifestation of the human experience at its very strongest at it's most uh, willing to take on the world, a world that is not designed for your needs, um, the reserves of resilience and hopefulness that you need to draw upon every single day in order to navigate that world. If those are not the qualities uh, that we want to see more of in the world you know want to see in our leaders and want to see in people who we hold you know in the highest esteem that i don't know what are you know if, if those are not those qualities then i don't really know what are so so disability has taught me those things like we weren't not for my accident and the disability that i have experienced ever since I I can say with almost 100% certainty that those aspects of who I am never would have been forced out of me and um i feel very thankful for that so that is how if if i could be understood in any in every in any way it would be though in those terms in addition to you being uh, a member of the family that i'm a member of and you know the daughter of my parents who instilled so much in me when it comes to um belief in myself and um yeah, providing opportunities for me. So those are the things that I would uh, that I would like to to associate my identity
1: with. What I hear you saying is that you had this existence, and then suddenly everything changed. And it's almost as though you were at a juxtaposition, a fork in the road, where you had to. Maybe again and again and again, I imagine, make this conscious choice to not be all consumed by the challenges, but rather work on the process of integration so that you could become and embrace and discover those really deep, profoundly strong, and powerful parts of yourself that may not have otherwise been revealed.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that was a very difficult um, realization to come to. And uh, so I don't I don't want to be blase about it uh, you know, in, in any way or minimize it or even be hypocritical about it. So I, mean, I spent seven and a half months in rehabilitation after my accident. So I was in um, uh, pediatric intensive care for six weeks. Uh, and then uh, yeah that's where kind of I was initially stabilized and the acute uh aspects of my uh post accident care was provided you know, until I got to the point where they couldn't do any additional uh, intervention or meaningful intervention at the in the ICU. And then I was moved to rehabilitation uh, all the way in New Jersey. Uh, so in New York and it was moved all the way to New Jersey. And I was there for seven and a half months, which when when you're a child, it seems like forever, right? It's just like an inordinate amount of time. Um, and it was there that I learned, you know, to to do the kinds of um, you know, mechanistic things that would make my life move forward. So essentially I you know learned to talk again because you know, I had lost my ability to talk. I wasn't able to talk because I was on the ventilator. Uh learned to just kind of breathe on a ventilator. And what that meant, um, you know, I, I learned to drive a wheelchair and, you know, become uh you know the the recipient of physical therapy and occupational therapy and I uh, even yeah speech language pathology and remedial educational services, right? So all of those things I was kind of introduced to uh, very early on. And when I was discharged from rehabilitation, that was the kind of mindset that I had, this patient mindset, this medical model of disability mindset that, you know, that my life was, you know, some kind of injury. Right. The situation that I was in was was the product of some kind of devastating, catastrophic accident. And like I, I could only understand my life in those terms for a very long time. Right. Like that, that I could not in any way separate the disability that I was experiencing from the trauma that produced it. And I think that was very difficult. Right. So it cast this this cloud over an aspect of my life that i needed to come to terms with like i needed to integrate into my identity but it was always for a very long time coupled um, it almost to the point of inseparability with this trauma that I experienced that produced it. And I, I was fearful of it. I viewed it as something I needed to uh, run away from. I did not want to be associated with it in any way, shape or form. I thought of it as a source of weakness, right? It's something that like, if I wanted people to look at me and not see my disability at all, like, I don't know what I was thinking. You know, People could obviously see my wheelchair and everything, but that was like, how I wanted to be understood at all. I was terrified of talking about it. Um, I remember very, very clearly that for many years after my accident, um, I was kind of encapsulated in my community and I didn't need to talk about my accident in any way. And everybody knew what happened to me. I was very much shielded from Taking the power away from the memory of my accident. It wasn't until I got to college where I had to talk about um, like what had happened to me and claim ownership over a narrative that was very difficult to grapple with, um, and kind of change it to something that I could deal with and not be terrified about and not feel like you know was was making me a weaker person and in that process. Um I realized, wait a second, I can't talk about my life and the injury that I had sustained and the kind tr- of the traumas that I had experienced without also talking about the strength that I had to integrate into my life in order to overcome that trauma you know i needed to be able to talk about the trauma that i experienced but also talk about the resilience that i had to integrate into my life in order to overcome that you know i needed to talk about moments of weakness but i also needed to talk, to talk about moments of strength you know i needed to talk about instances of fear but also instances of hope and in so doing you know i came to realize wait a second the virtues and the sources of strength clearly have outweighed the sources of fear and the sources of weakness. I would not be here at, at Harvard were that not the case. And in that process, I you know I, I gained an entirely different understanding of who I was, who I am, what disability has come to mean to me, and how um disability is not the thing that I thought it was, that it's not these um uh, representations of human vulnerability, but actually can be something that that people can integrate into their identity, can draw strength from, can find um a sense of pride in, and feel like you know they they're they're attached to in a way that is that is not that is not fearful or it's not traumatizing, but is actually a source of strength. And that took time, right? Like that's not something that is certainly not a realization that I came to quickly. It took a lot of self-analysis and self-reflection. Um, it's a bit difficult to say, okay, I'm going to let go of the person and the life that I had and feel like the life that I still have is not less than the life that I had. It's a different version, but no less than. And that takes a lot of, a lot of struggle, a lot of you know, a lot of personal resilience and, and personal awareness. When I, I teach, um, you know, I'm a professor at Stony Brook University and I teach medical ethics, which I'm sure something we'll talk about um, in you know, the rest of the conversation, uh, but I have a conversation with my students you know, every year and I ask them about you, know, what, you know, what would constitute a life not worth living or if they were to find out tomorrow that they're going to be disabled for the rest of their lives, what would be their fears? And it almost always focuses on things like, you know, um, I would I, I would not want to live if I were attached to some kind of medical technology, if I were attached to machines, if I couldn't do things independently, if I was a burden on my family or if I was um, not able to do the things that I always was able to do. right? So the obvious things are right? things that people you, would just be done clearly be afraid of. But all of these things, I think, are um, are not necessarily associated with our identity, right? We think that they are. We think that they're things that we can't live without or would not be able to live with. But you can. Again, you can find really meaningful parts of life um, in, in in parts in in areas that you never would have expected before. And that is something that I think was a very valuable lesson for me to, you know, to, to come to terms with and to integrate into my into my personhood. I was just talking to a friend of mine from France uh, earlier today. We met through the World Economic Forum, or both members of the World Economic Forum, sorry, so this um organization of people and of entities, and it's just kind of, you know, the people, you have know, the most powerful people in the world, I right? pull all the different strings, right? Uh, dignitaries, leaders, heads of corporations, right? So this is the organization that we're both a part of. And like, that's just, you know, people hold themselves in, I think, a lot of esteem, and rightfully so, right? They've, they've, they've done incredible things, you know, really um, ele- elevated themselves to really, Important per, uh, positions in the world and uh, have the ability to, you know, to make significant social change and like that's that's great. But that's not necessarily like where I find, yeah, uh, you know, the most powerful people. Right, are the people who's who who are worthy of the most respect, and uh, it's often people who have seen life and it's most difficult and have said okay i'm going to forge ahead nonetheless i'm going to find a path forward and do something meaningful with my life irrespective of what i might be facing so yeah that's kind of uh how i've tried to live my life not without you know without putting patting myself on the back or anything but that's how i've and I've chosen to live my life, and it weren't it were it not for my disability, that would have been much more difficult for me to understand.
0: Mm, you talk about how there are things that you have found that are so much more important than all of these things. And I'm just mm-hmm. curious if you want to talk a little bit more about about some of those things that you've discovered. and uh, I, I know you talk about um some different pillars of hope um mm-hmm. and empowerment. And if you want to just talk a little bit more about that as well.
2: Sure, sure. So, um, well, like there is a section of the book, which is the, the most difficult section of the book for me to write. Uh, I was actually, I had written it before I wrote anything. Actually, it was probably years before I actually sat down to write or you know, put myself, put my head to the computer to write, look both ways. Um, it was the uh I want section of the book, right? So it comes at the end of chapter four where I start where um I talk about the things that I want versus the things that I need and you know how it took me uh, a bit of time to realize that there's a distinction between the two, right? There's the things that um you know I thought that I needed that I don't necessarily need, um, and things that I you that I always wanted that you know are not as necessary for for my life right things like you know going on a trip or seeing other parts of the world or um be living independently having a job that i could just um you know Come home and flop on the couch, and you know, watch television. I have to think about all the things that I have to do in order to make sure that my health is you know is maintained. Right, all these these things I don't necessarily need are things that I want. Um, so, like that was that was a very difficult part of the book to write. It was it forced me to be very self analytical about um, you know where, how I understood my life and how. Um, you can separate yourself from life as it had been and the way many people live their lives and the life as you have have known it. Uh, and I think that dovetails very nicely with work I've done on hope and you know, what hope means, what hope has meant to me. Um, so I first started investigating or kind of thinking about the concept of hope when I was in college, and uh, I was uh, the major that I chose was cognitive neuroscience. So essentially, like a a very biological look at human behavior, kind of a neurological look at human behavior. So it was a joint concentration between biology and psychology. So a very kind of science driven um, approach to to human behavior. And um, it was a kind of a, an accelerated program, and many of the people who were in the program with me were looking to be physicians. So the, their their um, you know honors thesis, right? It was it was a an honors only program. Um, so we had to write a thesis in order to to graduate. And, um, and many of the people who were with me were looking to go into medicine. So their theses would run would um, revolve around medical questions, right? So very kind of prototypically scientific questions. And I chose to do mine on the intersection between um, hope and resilience and what these two constructs mean and look like and how they're integrated into the lives of people who have undergone significant trauma. And you know i I would talk about this, and a lot of my classmates would be like, "Oh, you know, that's interesting, that's not necessarily what yeah, many of us are are looking to you know to integrate into our future practice or whatever, but you know interesting nonetheless. But that had been the you know, the construct of hope and the construct of resilience had been so central to my ability to get from the time of my accident to where I was, you know, to to, the the halls of Harvard, um, much more than almost any medical intervention, other than what I had received at the time of my accident and immediately thereafter, right? This ability to rely on, on hopefulness and what that means. So I approach hope from a very, I think, particular, vantage point, right, not just one of the things that we hope for, the the kind of an amorphous, um, non tangible idea, but something that is very um, action oriented, right. So it's born out of the kinds of challenges that we face. It is a, a, a clear willingness to acknowledge and even embrace the challenges that we face, to feel the challenges that we face and say, okay, I'm going to find a way around this. So in my head over the years, I've created this little mnemonic device, um, COPE, you know, COPE, right? So the first thing to do when you're facing a challenge, right? If you want to integrate hope into, you know, into how you behave right is like to first compartmentalize the challenge right so anytime we um face difficulty it feels like it is totally overwhelming right It's it's that it's it is subsuming all parts of our lives right i know that i felt that after my accident you know there i thought that there are many things that i couldn't do that I actually could do purely because of my disability, right? I thought, oh, I couldn't, you know, find romantic love. I couldn't, you know, go off to college, I couldn't get a job, right? And none of these things was going to was going to be impossible for me. Right. That was kind of what I understood. It felt like completely incapacitating in every way, shape, or form. And I think that happens for a lot of us when we're facing uh difficulty, right? It just feels like, oh my God, this is taking over my entire life. So step one, right, just kind of circumscribe that challenge, right, just to put to compartmentalize it and say, okay, this is where I'm, I'm going to relegate this challenge to the least impactful role that it can play in my life. And then, you know, oh, right, so orienting or reorienting our focus, right, just up to other things, right. So when I was a child, I was, you know, my, my, uh, days and nights even were were completely um dedicated to physical activities right so i was a dancer yeah the dancing was just like so much a part of my life i started dancing when i was just two years old and you know it was a part of actually the the year of my accident was going to be my 10th year as a dancer and i remember um that i was looking forward to getting a uh, a little trophy uh, on stage at the recital that year that June, like it was going to be this big moment for me so yes yeah, so i was a dancer and it was just like so much a part of my life even to this day you know i have dreams of you know, dance recitals and being in the dance studio and all of that um you know i studied karate i sang church choir i was a little i played the league baseball and all of these things um, but those things were gone yeah, after my accident, I thought that yeah, much of my life was gone, but it took just not too much time to say, wait a second, I can shift my thinking to the things that are you know equally valuable in my life. And it didn't take long to see my education and my ability you know, to you know to write and to, to read and to study poetry and to study you know, literature and music, right? They were not gone they were equally a part of my life. I could derive just as much enjoyment from them if I just sought new ways to explore them, right? So kind of reorienting your focus to the things that are still present and you can conceivably find more in, you know, possibility as a result of, right? If I know that I know looking at my life in hindsight now that um, if I had spent so much time in the dance studio or in the karate dojo that I would not, have focused as much time and attention on my education uh, i likely would not have ended up in harvard you know, likely would not uh you know have experienced many of the things that i've experienced ever since um you know so that's kind of you know number two and then you know
0: can i pause you there i just wanna I, I just wanna like bring this to our audience and and really like drive this home like this is so awesome. Like, this is such a great, um, well, the whole, like all of the pillars are really great. So I want to, you know, (laughs) go into each one of them, but this is so awesome because whenever, even no matter what the obstacle is that we come up against Mm -hmm. so many times, we Start to say, make meaning out of it, right? We start to Mm -hmm. say, well, because of this, now I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Always the
2: negative, right?
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is what this means for my life. And now this is what my life has to look like. And now I have to do things this way. And usually, there's like a usually there's another, another option, right? <laughs> um, and so I just want to like really drive that home for everyone. Cause you're just, you're just inspiring me so much while you're, well,
2: while you're talking you. about this. Thank you. Well, really that's beautiful. exactly right. That's exactly right. And, like, that is how disability has been thought of and that's how challenges, right? That's why I think like the, the, um, the parallels are so clear, right? That, um, disability very frequently, especially for people who um, acquire disability later in life are not necessarily born with disability, right? It's it's always viewed in terms of the loss that it creates, right? The the deficit understanding of disability. What have I lost because of the life that I'm not living? Right, like it's, and I think that is the case for the challenges that we experience, different kinds of turns that our lives take. Like, what would have, what would have, our lives been always looking at them in terms of loss? Um, so, actually, when I titled my book "Look Both Ways," it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of, um, you know, acknowledgement of you know. To how we we're always admonished as kids, you know, if we're crossing the street Right, I was hit by a car, but at the same time, right, is looking at our lives from both directions, right? Not just in terms of the things that we lose, but the things that we still have or, or never would have had if our lives didn't take the turns that they end up taking. So like so that I think is was a critical understanding for me to come to, right? That even um a a situation like mine that is, I think, so clearly typified by loss or by disadvantage, right? People would think on the outside has been full of um, you know, many, many uh, opportunities and, and things that I've found immense virtue and value in. And I feel very thankful for that. So like, so when we reorient our focus to the things that maybe we didn't ever uh, expect in our lives like that is a tremendous opportunity that's a that's a way of looking at our lives in possible in terms of possibility right and as uh, opposed to negativity brilliant so yeah thank mm-hmm. you and then you yeah, have the last two th- letters right p right so uh, personal empowerment right and then like finding mm-hmm. the reserves of strength that we all have Um, That sometimes we don't even know that we have until we're tested to find them, uh, and finding a way forward, right? Finding ways to uh, plot a path that does not just ignore the challenges that we face, but accepts them head on and says, "Okay, I am going to move forward, and you know, I seek out these opportunities, rely on the people around Mm -hmm. me." to help get me there right there's an aspect of personal empowerment that is intrinsic Right, we all have it um i didn't know that i had it when i was 11 years old and even for years thereafter but it's there you know i I draw upon it every single day i've become a much stronger person than i ever would have imagined myself being doing things that i never would have expected myself doing Um, so I can, I can attest wholeheartedly that these reserves of strength are there. You just have to be a little bit self-analytical and have some, you know, take some, some presence of mind and some time to be introspective about your life to find them. And then finding the people around you who can help support you, right? Even people who you may not have expected to be those people, right? So I've I'm very fortunate to have a family that's been extremely supportive of me over the years. Just starting first and foremost with my mother, who um, her first day of work as a special education teacher was also the very day of my accident. So it was her first day and her last day of work. She left her job um, and she was actually setting up her classroom for that academic year, the day of my accident. Um, and yeah that was the last day that she was in the classroom as as a a teacher in front of the classroom she's been a teacher nonetheless um, you know ever since then but yeah she left her job to care for me to be by my side to make sure that i was able to do the things that um you know that i had set for my life um the very first thing that i said after my accident you know i wasn't able to talk but i was able to you know to mouth words um was you know am i going to be left back in school like that was a, the, the thing that i was concerned about i i understood very early on that my education was going to be very central to my life moving forward um so my parents made a commitment to me to make sure that that was that they could um uphold the promise that i would be able to return to school um so yes, yeah, so finding the people in your life who can help you get to where you need to be and recognizing that and recognizing that we all need help right we live in a in a culture i think that is very much driven by self-reliance or like you know you need to get to where you need to go on your own and uh, all success is self-made and i think that that is um i think that is a maladaptive way of looking at at any of our lives and none of us gets to where we get ultimately without the help of of the people around us, um whoever that might be, family, friends, you know religious leaders, um, you know, people in our communities, you know, whomever mentors who we find along the way. Um, you, know, all of these people play a role in 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 our lives and making us stronger. And uh, yeah, so and, and and not feeling like we're less of a person because of, the help that we need, and uh, you know, being willing to ask that help, ask for that help, and uh, offering it to people who we know are around us who need it, right? Like, there's a, a bi directionality about hope that I think is really beautiful and really powerful. That we can uh, receive help from people, then also offer it to others, and in so doing, be, be sources of, of hope uh, for other people. So that's how I've come to understand it. I have integrated into my life in, you know, on many different occasions, uh, and I have broadened it to my understanding of leadership, kind of hope as as a construct that works on the individual level with leadership being one, kind of just a, a, an amplification of those very same ideals, uh, ideas on a generalized scale scale, societal scale, right? Recognizing the challenges that the world faces, knowing that you know, we're dealing with these you know, certain parameters that we need to work within, but finding a way forward nonetheless, and finding the right allies to work with to, to advocate for the kinds of changes that the world needs to see, and being vocal. In that, by right? finding our own um, our own voice in the kinds of of work that needs to get done, and that's how I've tried to situate myself. Um, I did not know at the time of my accident and the years thereafter that those skills were gonna be the very same skills I was gonna rely on for the work that I continue to do. Um, and now in advocating for different uh, policy positions, advocating for um, you know, disability rights and disability justice and what that means and how that's a part of really all of our lives. So, uh, so that's kind of how hope has been, is so deeply integrated into everything that I've done.
0: Yeah. And will you talk a little bit about how that is integrated into all of our lives? Because I think that was such a great piece of your book and what you talked about is like, this is really, this is a fight for all of our rights. Um, So you want to just speak to that?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. yeah, so actually, I just gave a um a panel discussion I was part of a panel discussion up at uh, the Harvard Kennedy School of Government um just last week, and we we're talking about this this issue, right the disability so so disability um touches, I think, 15% of the population directly, right, so 15% of the population lives with physical disability directly, a far higher percentage. Uh, you know, people have family members or friends who live with disability, but it is an aspect of all of our lives, you know, in some way, shape, or form. Um, it's a part of humanity, it's a part of, you know, the natural human experience not something to be run away from not something to be thought ill of or to be dismissed or you know thought of as some weaker ex- um manifestation of the human experience in any way shape or form that said the kinds of innovation that benefit the lives of people with disabilities you know, invariably benefit everybody else's life, right? So I'm looking here at my computer, when I'm right underneath the computer, I have my Alexa device. And like that was designed uh, by somebody who was working um, yeah, specifically to benefit the lives of of uh, people with disabilities actually here. Yeah, we have become friends. Uh, we just met you know, over three different circles. Uh, his sister's name is Alexa. That's how the device was, it was named. Um, And uh we we struck up a friendship and yeah, he is very much mindful that this is where the technology was initially situated and uh but it has grown and it's now you know a, a um a household device, uh, curb cuts in, you know, in the sidewalk, where that benefits everybody. You know, the kinds of uh, the innovation that we put into place for people with disabilities really benefits everybody. So the conversation that I was having at the the Harvard Kennedy School um, last week was largely policy oriented, but the same thing applies, right? We t- we tend to think about people with disabilities as this kind of other population, right? We can other them very easily, right? These other these other people we can think about or choose not to, right? Give them rights if we want to, or possibly not, when integrating them into you know policy decisions right from the get-go it makes a lot of sense, right? Because it benefits everybody, the kinds of concerns that um that fall into the life of somebody who lives with a disability are the very same concerns that fall that invariably fall into everybody's life at some at some point. Um, the ways that we make other uh, people with disabilities' lives easier ultimately makes everybody else's life easier. Um, to look at people with disabilities as separate, I think is a really unfortunate way of of looking at just the human experience, right? We wouldn't do that with any other population, any other demographic group. Think of them as as some other group that we need to develop policy around you know, entirely separately all the time.
1: I want to make sure that I got each piece of of this wonderful mnemonic is cope, and so. Mm-hmm. C is compartmentalizing the challenge. Mm -hmm. It can help with the overwhelm piece. Mm -hmm. And O is the reorientation or to orient your focus on other things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really profoundly important, especially with neuroscience is Mm -hmm. the way that we wire it is the way the brain will fire it. And so if we're trying to create intentionality with, focusing on what we have and what our opportunities are and on hope Uh as opposed to what we've lost can change our literal biological and then our emotional and mental experience
2: exactly Right. i mean Oh, sorry. Yeah. And even just how we we talk about our experiences, right? Moving something from, from like emotional memory to active memory, right? From the limbic circuitry to like the prefrontal cortex allows us to to deal much more effectively with the challenges that we face, right? They're not associated with trauma and with fear and those kinds of emotions, but how we can actually make use of them. Yeah, you know, I think you're exactly, exactly right.
1: I love that. And you having that neuroscience background is just so cool because, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes as clinicians will tell our patients or I'll tell my clients, we want to work on creating that bullseye. We want to Mm -hmm. focus on what it is you desire, what you love, what you have, what you're grateful Mm -hmm. for, your opportunities. And then they're like, that just sounds like positive thinking. And it's... Like, I'm not really down with that. In fact, I had a teacher once who talked about a study that if you're a glass half-empty person and then you shift to try to be a positive-thinking person, it will make you worse yeah. in the beginning. But you're coming at it from a trauma-informed neuroscience model, and I think right. that's really compelling for certain people, myself included, and I love <laughs> that. Then you have P, and then is
2: P that personal empowerment? Yeah, P exactly. So personal empowerment. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So those two letters together, right? And that comes from you know, both things you find intrinsically, right? Finding those reserves of strength and um resilience and uh you know identity even that I think we far too often think we do not have when I know that we do. Um, And then finding the people to rely on to help get us to where we need to go, even if it means looking beyond the immediate circle of who we would, um, you know, often think would fill those roles.
0: I love that you bring that into personal empowerment because so often we would think of personal empowerment as individuality and like Mm -hmm. individualism, but we need other people.
2: <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, I mean, that's so that who we is, are, right? Yeah. We are yeah. relational creatures, right? So, I mean, there, there's there's something to be said for uh, you know, personal um, resilience and personal, uh, I guess, ways of understanding problems and problem-solving skills and leadership skills that we develop, but none of those really gets fostered and or comes to fruition without the people around us.
1: Totally. You've taken it from this process of conceptualization, thinking about it, sitting in it, not just avoiding or running away, but you allow yourself the process to sit in it. And then you allow that more cognitive acknowledgement to then transform your feeling and then buoyed by an integrated self, that feeling, that thinking, all of those parts of who you are as a dynamic human being within your family and the culture, you're able to then use that to catapult you into meaning making and showing up in a way that makes a difference in the world that allows you to be your full expression of an integrated self. And so you've been very involved in politics and in teaching. I admire that so much. And I feel like people need to hear your message. People need to hear the story because you're not just talking about it. You're actually showing us how to do it, how to live that out. And
2: thank you. That means the world to me. I mean, that's what I was hoping. That was exactly what I was uh, wanting for the book. Um, I wrote, uh look both ways at a time when i was facing a significant health challenge i had encountered a um a pressure ulcer that became very infected and you know i was very very sick um right around the time of my 40th birthday and yeah i knew that i had wanted to write a book for a number of years i wrote a book after I graduated from college. I knew that I wanted to write another one, but I never really felt the immediacy of writing it uh, until I became very sick. And I said, wait a second, you have some important um, lessons that you have learned yourself that I think are worth other people hearing. And if you don't do it now, you might not have the opportunity to do it. So that's that's what I did. And um, I wanted it to be lived. You know, I didn't want it to be um, kind of just my thoughts on a whimsical kind of, in a whimsical, whimsical way, but something that uh, had some example built into it. And um, I, that means a lot to me that you were that you gained something for that.
1: I'm curious about what advice you have, you know, as we're, as we're coming to almost to the end of our time here together is if somebody is listening to this, this episode, someone's listening to your words, someone's reading your book and they find themselves feeling really stuck Mm -hmm. where they're trying to work their way through the compartmentalization and the reorientation of focus and the personal and the empowerment. And yet the sticky factor is making it so hard Mm -hmm. to make that shift. What advice do you have?
2: Mm -hmm. Right. I would say let go and you can. Right. There are parts of any difficult experience that we undergo um, that are born out of um, our unwillingness to detach ourselves from things as we have known it and known them to be or some kind of aspect of ourselves that we think we're going to lose by coming to terms with uh, a new reality. Right, like I know it took me a very long time to come to that realization that the um, that letting go of my life as a dancer didn't mean that I could not dance or right? it doesn't mean that I could not enjoy music or be you know, on the dance floor with my friends um, letting go of some of the the mm-hmm. visions that I had for my life did not mean that I could not create other visions for myself and ones that are equally as important um, and then that you can't, but there have been people like when any time any of us undergoes um, a life altering challenge or any kind of challenge, even it isn't. Immensely isolating, right? Like nobody could ever understand what I'm dealing with. You know, I feel so alone. How is the world going on around me? But there are people who have gone before you, even as, as, um, you know, isolated as you might feel and have come out on the other side and, you know, believe in that, believe that there, that you can do it and not feel like uh, life is defeating you um you know that's not something again Not something that i learned quickly it took time you know there have been many instances of difficulties i've experienced over the years since my accident and i it's it's, uh, it's a constant reminder wait a second you know you can define your life by possibility and by strength but you do not have to be defined by the challenge or by uh, some semblance of weakness that you think you faced, you can turn that around. Um, and to do that is quite liberating. And once you do that once, it becomes who you are. Right? It's like, wait a second, I'm going to be associated with that part of who I am, not the other one. I'm going to be associated with the stronger part. I'm going to be associated with somebody who can do and somebody who can move ahead with, your, with his or her life. and um, that's pretty rewarding. That's a pretty valuable place to get to.
1: Mm, thank you for
0: that. Yeah. And do you, I, I'm curious, um, I'm curious about how our, you know, our audience might be able to integrate this into their lives. If you have any like practices or um, reflections for them mm-hmm. that, um, that were helpful for you in actually really like embodying um all of these amazing um amazing thoughts but really <laughs> bringing it you. in
2: thank you yeah well d- during this pandemic yeah, I, st- I struggled for sure like there were times when yeah, I actually had just come out of the hospital right after right before the pandemic I acquired sepsis so I was like very 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 sick and you know was discharged right before the pandemic hit discharged uh, from having sepsis um in i think january 22nd of 2000 and then the pandemic hit right after that so i was like totally thrown you're thrown into some kind of alternate universe, you're coming home and and going into lockdown, not feeling well enough, like feeling like my life was in peril all the time and feeling like the place that I would go to seek refuge, right? The hospital was not a safe place for me to go, right? So it was just like terrified all the time. And like, I had to reground myself, you know, I had to, you know, kind of step back a little bit and not let, and, and like, know that i could have those thoughts and not just completely ignore them but turn them down a little bit and not let them be so loud in my head and that's possible right because when you have these fears and have these thoughts they just like bouncing around in your head all over their place but you can actually turn them down and you can tell them wait a second i'm gonna put you lower the volume a little bit maybe even put you on mute You know, if you're lucky um, and uh, just let them uh, exist, but have them play, you know, a minimally impactful role. And that takes, you know, that takes just like being mindful that they're there, number one, and that they, they can have less power over you if you detach yourself a little bit from them. So like that that took a little bit of time during the pandemic, especially for me to say, okay, wait a second. Let me just slow down here. These these ideas are becoming all all consuming and I can't let that happen. I've been through much worse than this to have these ideas, you know, totally infiltrate my life.
1: Is there anything else that you wanted to share? During our conversation today, um, gosh,
2: well, I would say you know, just that um, that we, you know, again, understand challenge to be such an isolating thing when it is the exact opposite. It is one of the most unifying aspects of the human experience, right? It is uh, difficulty and change, right? They are. Um, universally rejected, essentially, but they're universally experienced, right? And there's nothing to be afraid of. There's some really beautiful things that can come out of it, even something that is as profound and as Catastrophic or devastating, as um, you know, an injury like mine. You know, as I wrote in the book, you know, my my disability is the result of a tragedy, but my life is not tragic. And I think that that is you know something that I think we can all integrate into our lives. That we we can experience tragedies, but our lives themselves are very different from those from that experience. Uh, and we all can do it. Yeah, you know, I, I I know it firsthand. Yeah, you know, I've experienced it. I think in, in some of its most profound. Um, so I know that I know that the the ability is there. It's built into it's built into our, our genes.
0: Wow! And how I just can- have full body chills just when you said um, that we think of it as so isolating, but really it's the most unifying thing. It's <laughs> so good. Thank you so Thank much. You. for for this is so inspiring i'm so inspired right now <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the book is amazing so yeah wow. so i think dr kane was about to wow, about to ask thank yes you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask how people can stay in touch with you Buy your book, obviously, but <laughs> um, how else can they find you
2: online? Oh, absolutely. So you can uh, go to my website, which is just brookellison.com. So brooke with an E-V-R-O-O-K-E-E-L-L-I-S-O-N.com. And then also you're know, on Twitter, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I- I don't tweet quite as much as I would like, but uh, I guess there's Brooke M. Ellison at Brooke M. Ellison. And then also on Instagram, you can find me there as well. Uh, and I'd love to hear from people. Yeah, so there's ways to contact me there.
1: And we'll be sure to put all of those notes and resources into the description. And yeah, buy the book. It's really good. And definitely follow her on TikTok or not tiktok but you said twitter and instagram and so we're really grateful for you we're grateful for your time and you're amazing and i can't wait to see what
2: you do thank you that means so much to me really this is such a such a pleasure such a privilege to do and you know i feel quite quite fortunate to share my life with you know with you with your listeners and for everybody you know who picks up the book it means a great deal to me and you know, it's changing something that could conceivably seem meaningless into something that is quite meaningful so thank you for the opportunity to do that
1: awesome well thank you thank, thank you, you so Brooke. much all right well we'll take care see you soon absolutely <laughs> all right bye, bye Brooke. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Dr. Nicole Kane, a naturopathic doctor with a master's in clinical psychology, and Happy Healthy Hadley, an Ayurveda expert with a master's in health behavior and health education. While these opinions are based upon literature, counseling, education, medical training, and clinical experience, this content should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on these subjects. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for any sort of medical, psychological, or other form of treatment. If you are in a crisis, please call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255. If you are in need of counseling, don't hesitate to make an appointment with a counselor in your area. Dr. Nicole and Hadley are passionate about you becoming the expert of your own emotional and physical well-being. If this resonates with you and you think this podcast would help someone you love, please share it with them. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Holistic Inner Balance Podcast.